What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Joseph Weinberg is co-founder of Shift Network and CEO of Paycase Financial. In this conversation, we discuss mining Bitcoin in 2010, moving to live with a tribe in the Amazon forest, plant-based medicine, and the idea of building an interoperable permissioned blockchain. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I'm here with Joseph. Uh, he has been in the game just as long as anybody. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to come on and uh, talk with us. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, you were manning Bitcoin in what, 2010, 2011? Late 2010, yeah, December. You're a psychopath. Really yeah. <laughs> How did you hear about this and uh, and why, uh, why yeah. my Bitcoin that early? Uh, fully in psychopathic mode. Um, I was finishing my, my first semester um, in third year comp sci and me and my two buddies were actually in a distributed um, systems class so we're sitting there I was like we just finished last exam actually so it was the 13th of December I'm like going home getting out gonna hit the snow you know just Hanukkah whatever it is um, and my friends Did are you just hit me with it? I'm yeah. gonna hit the snow in Hanukkah whatever. yeah of course yeah I'm from <laughs> Vancouver and Whistler you know we had to go hit the slopes that's what we do all right um, yeah and then so um, so they were sitting there after like our exam was done and they were mining and I'm sitting there like what are you you guys on doing? their laptops yeah right. on yeah. their oh yeah this is like yeah, easy yeah, days yeah, yeah. like no difficulty and i'm like what are you guys doing like, oh we're uh, mining this thing called the bitcoins I'm like what is the hell is the bitcoins like yep. what is this um sat down with them and then the next six months plugged in more computers we were running them you know yep. effectively free yep for the most part um yes yeah, so we ran for about six to eight months um, kind of shut it down, moved over to the Peruvian Amazon after and All right, changed hold on. it up. A bunch of questions. One, <laughs> how much Bitcoin could you mine in, let's say, a day back then? Oh, probably like four. It depends on really the size. Like we were, run, I was just running a MacBook. We were probably running like two to 6,000, depending on what the days were. Two size. to 6,000 Bitcoin yeah, per day. I would say on five laptops, yeah. Probably. Oh, oh, across. Okay, so yeah, on, so on, you have five laptops running in a twenty-four hour period. You could mine between two to six thousand bitcoin. Around there, kind of depends, but today. yeah. And then I'm not a math guy, so if we do, let's say, two thousand bitcoin times a six thousand dollar price, twelve million bucks today. That's kind of a lot of money. The good old days. Um, but yeah. we never would have thought it would get there. Like the of day course. that it hit $30, we were like, oh my God, Bitcoin's at $30, sell everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you couldn't sell it all, right? Yep. So like you wish. Yep. You know, you crash the market as much as you can, keep on going. So Got it. And so uh, why'd you stop? So there's a few different reasons. Like I think at that time, Bitcoin was very much a really cool, you know, science project for a lot of different people. I was still young, like, you know, I was 20, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I had a lot of like, you know, figuring out what I'm going to do with my life, um, as most people have. I'm um, still figuring that out. Me too. <laughs> I, it, it's true, you know, and just trying to figure it out day by day. But like, I think that was kind of when like the moment was I'm like, all right, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. You know, it wasn't as all encompassing. The community didn't really exist outside of your yep. IRC channels. Yep. You know, and so it was just, you know, time to take a departure and start figuring out what to do with my life. Mm -hmm. Haven't figured it out since and Stuck right back with good old Bitcoin, but nonetheless, you you uh, it's not like you went and like got like a corporate job. You where no. did you move? Uh, to the Peruvian Amazon. All right, hold on. <laughs> the the Peruvian Amazon is like you're talking like rainforest. Yes. What is there? Why are you doing that? I, What's when, going through your head at the point at that moment? First of all, it was like Western world's cool. I figured it out. You know, understand everything there is. To I me. found Bitcoin. It's over. Yeah, There's nothing found else. Bitcoin. I'm like, this thing's crazy. This is cool. But I was like, I need to see a different side of the world. You yep. know, like we there must be different ways of living. You know, and, yep. and that's kind of just the way I always like view the world. It's like you have to take a different approach when everyone's looking left. You go right. Yep. Um, so started backpacking in Peru. 
one thing led to another, ended up like six hours down the Ukiali River, which is the Amazon River, right in the heart of the Amazon with this tribe. All right, so how do you go down the river? Like, you get, like, in, like, a kayak? In a boat. Or, like, a, cano- in a, a canoe? Or, in like, like, a, a little boat? dinghy boat with okay. a guy that, you know, takes you up. And they're saying, oh, there's a... And he paddles? No, it's, like, a little, like... like oh, a, oh, he's got a motor. Like a motor, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right. I'm trying um, to figure out how, how yeah. like, Amazon forest we Swimming. are at this point. Okay. Definitely not. Yeah, but we're deep. Like, there's piranhas <laughs> everywhere. Like, yeah, I would not go in... Oh, you in. can't get in the water. Uh, you can, just don't cut anything or Got you it, won't okay. be there much longer. Um, right. Yeah, and so, yeah, so, like, long story short, I was there. I was, stayed for a, I was supposed to stay for a week. Um, and it was interesting. Like, the, I ended up staying for about six months Wait, first. What, what's the tribe? You, it was a, tri- a tribe? Yeah, it was a tribe that I was living with. Okay. Like, um, this, this isn't the tribes where, uh, like, they've never seen humans before, obviously. Those right? are not that. Those are much further. Okay. All I right. actually have been to those before. Really? Yes. Okay. But well, let's start with the tribe you were with. And then yeah. We'll get to the, the um, yeah, so they're the largest tribe um, in the Peruvian Amazon, and, and uh, it was an interesting experience. Like, I went there to kind of try to learn and, and try mm-hmm. to see what a different world looked like. Um, and I definitely got that. You know, they at the time had, you know, most of them weren't wearing clothes. They had no oh, roofs over oh, their oh, head. Oh, we're going no clothes, no homes. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. they had they had they had roofs. Some had roofs over their head, like, but very very minimal. Like, this is effectively dirt roads and dirt yep. buildings. Um, but the coolest thing was is everyone had satellite dishes. Okay. What? Kerosene canisters to like get electricity. Yep. And um, and mobile phones. That was what everyone but had. no clothes. But most of them, yeah, women, no shirts. Like, yeah, yep. it was, like, this weird, interesting, like, like weird, like, inception point of, the, like, their civilization where they've gone. It's actually the funniest part. The funniest thing is that the majority of, of elders don't even know how old they are. So okay. when you say, how old are you? They say, oh, I was born on the year with three monsoons, mm-hmm. right? Like, they look at time differently. And yep. so you have this, like, interesting inflection point where technology and society from our spaces and from our world is starting to proliferate. Yeah. Um, but they had nothing. Yeah. Um, except for these few little components. And then, of course, they had a Western Union, which was also a mud hut on the side of the road as well. That's pretty uh, cool. Which is a sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and that was like kind of like the first most interesting thing about Bitcoin as well is like and, and probably about a month and a half in, like I was just, you know, I was I was doing work helping them out. They were running this healing center in, in, in the Amazon. And um, what is that? Yeah, so they the idea is that you can look at different medicines and different plants within the 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 world and within the Amazon to you know heal you in different ways, right? Yeah. And and um, a lot of people from the Western world, you know, uh, kind of partake in that type of medicine experience. Yeah. Um, and they were running this with shamans and everything there at the time. And is this like the ayahuasca stuff? And all yeah, that? it's yeah, yeah. it's like that. There's I recently I mean, learned about this, and I'm fascinated. I, I feel like there's a whole world that I never knew about until these people started telling me about this. Yeah, story. it's like very fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it's you know and the whole idea is it's like a hallucinogenic slash like a mind altering. Yeah, I mean it's different things to different people, and I think it's it's really depends on the experience. Yeah, um, that's you know, a really deep answer. Yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> there we go. Time to get deep. I mean like. I think that like the I think it's you know to them it's a medicine you know mm-hmm. um, and I think yeah, that, yeah but but the right. whole point is that basically you can use the plant as a medicine or, mm-hmm. or a way to uh, I don't want maybe prescribes the wrong way but like yeah. it is a solution to problems in yeah their, in their mind yeah the idea is that it like blends your conscious with your subconscious and okay. allows you to work through the things that you have the hardest time you know understanding got it yeah um, and so and then is there other things other than like the ayahuasca that's like the smallest one like tribes oh. within that part of the world don't really use ayahuasca very much really it's like yeah that, they actually like Adv- they use other plants like, uh, Advil to it's us. yeah well it's like for a certain very certain subset got um, it. yeah and so like that's kind of what the it really depends on what you're you know you go to a doctor they prescribe you something it's no different than there they just yeah, yeah, yeah. don't have you know pharmaceuticals the same way what's some do. of the other types of stuff that um, they use like a lot of tobacco based like products they'll, they'll, they'll do different types of like long periods of, of fermenting and different types of plants and you know interesting. yeah it's really interesting and, and it's kind of this concept that like you know as humans we have everything in the world that we need to cure ourselves mm-hmm. you know and so that there's two ways of dealing with a lot of like sickness one can be through pain and, and the relief of it or the numbing of it which mm-hmm. western medicine does or the other one is really like you will feel more pain in some contexts, but it's about, you know, using natural plants as a way to heal yourself. Yeah. I, yeah. I always think of uh, Western world, we give people sugar and opioids and alcohol and like all this other crazy exactly. stuff. Exactly. And uh, in other parts of the world, they just don't believe in that. That's it. And, and it's interesting. In, in, their, in their culture, they don't even have a word for cancer. 
Really? Yes, and that's and it's an interesting thing. What's like their life expectancy? Well, that's the irony is that it's a lot of them. They don't know how old they are, but they live like a lot of them live well over a hundred. Like really? Yeah. So they have extremely long life. I mean, they don't actually know how long it is. That's the irony of it. But uh, it's fascinating. It's a totally different world. And so, I mean, it's not probably for everyone. And it's really, um, you know, you have to be cut out to kind of really go through an experience that is very different than here. But I think it gives you a perspective on the world that that is really important, especially to our ecosystem and, you know, what we're all trying to achieve today. Is it dangerous? There? No. I wouldn't say so. No. They're very welcoming. Um, It's really that you just have to have... Like you, you look like you look like me. You're like a white dude. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like like you're rolling up like Tall, a Jewish white, white dude, right? Jewish <laughs> guy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm rolling up like this. Like it's nothing like too crazy. Um, and so like, like but they're welcoming. They're accepting. Like to them, it's you know as long as you treat others with respect, you get treated back. Got you it. know, and it's interesting. Like the the number one thing in their culture is never steal. Like they don't actually mm-hmm. have police mm-hmm. in that part of the world, right? And so they're very much governed by their community mm-hmm. which comes down to this interesting thing of like how our ecosystem starts to work in that same context well they like agree to a set of rules it sounds like they agree to a set of rules um usually doctors or shamans are, are among the highest people and the most important people in that system so it's mm-hmm. not that they have you know a mayor per se it's mm-hmm. very different but it's very much community based mm-hmm. um and the one thing you do is you never steal mm-hmm. um and that's the only thing that carries. it's not violent or no i mean there's violence everywhere yeah. right and, and it really depends on you know situations um but it's yeah i mean you just have to know where you're going and make sure you're you know you understand the places got it and then do you like hit them up and be like hey i'm on the way like i'm, I'm every up, every or? so every december i actually do um, oh really yeah oh, you go every december i go every december so oh, dude i finish yeah i finish hanukkah and then when everyone's having christmas and new year's i'll just go there I've taken some people from your show as well before, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I, me and Melton Demirs went once. I, it was more for just vacation and just to explore yeah, the yeah. Amazon. Um, yeah, but yeah, every year I bring new friends and, and old friends. I got some people I know that'll go with you. 100%, man. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, come for a week or two, but uh, it's a really cool experience. Got it's it. Great. And and so then uh, you said that you even went deeper into the Amazon forest. And yeah, just on yeah on a five-day trip. And, and these okay. ones aren't ha- don't happen often. Yeah. Um, but it's... Effectively, what we did was we went um, uh, like deep into the heart of the Amazon. No one usually goes to those. Yep. Um, they barely even speak Spanish. In most cases, they don't. They speak like their own native tongue. Mm-hmm. And these are non-contact tribes. Yep. So these are the ones that like you don't want to run into. Let's yeah. The non-contact tribes mean they don't they usually don't... interface with like the Correct. humans how we think of. Them. Yes. Yeah. Like any Western civilization, they don't touch. Yep. And it's this misconception that they've never you know been in contact, but they actually choose not to be in contact. Got it. It's an important thing. And are they're violent when they come in contact? Uh, yeah. Like, so the way that we like had to... Like, on purpose. They are. Oh, yeah. yeah because yeah, they don't know any better. They're like, yeah. you're in our territory. We're, you know, yeah, yeah. going to kill you. Like, we're talking about, like, straight... Oh, like... Like, human nature. No rules. Yeah. Like, you and, kill me, I kill you. Yeah, and, up? like, their perception is just, like... Ins- like, you'll they'll walk down a river and be able to shoot a monkey 300 feet away without even looking at it. Like, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. have that, like, perceptive ability that, like, no one here The, the Western today. world isn't ready for Oh, that. yeah. No, no, no. Definitely <laughs> We're not. like, wait a minute. You, it's you. good for like a movie of some sort, I'm sure. But um, but yeah, it was like it was one of the most interesting experiences, and I, I I like to go back to like remind myself that things are different. I'm thinking like the Western world's like most badass people are like literally they can't even they're, they're not even allowed to yeah. show up right because they're just so soft. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, these people who literally are just like listen. It's we, not it's not Wall Street or Bay Street. Let's put it that way. It's, it's a very different world. Okay. All right. So. Uh, you go through this awesome experience. Yeah. Uh, I'm super intrigued because um, I love seeing how other people live, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, especially when uh, they do things that they believe are normal mm-hmm. or uh, traditional, yep. and they're so counterintuitive or, or just in contradiction with mm-hmm. the way that, like, maybe you or I grew up. Yep. Um, and I think it takes a lot of uh, cultural um, understanding and, and immersion uh, mm-hmm. in multiple cultures to realize that, like, just because you grew up in a culture doesn't mean that you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> it is, like, the like, most like, important And, thing. by the way, it doesn't also mean you're wrong either. No. Like, it's just that is how your culture exists. Another one can actually exist in a completely different way that is contradicts yours, and you both can be right. Completely. 100%. Right? Like, but you need to understand where they're coming yeah. from. Like, it's all about understanding perspectives, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's what, uh Last question about the Amazon. Then we'll talk about, like, actual things. <laughs> we'll be talking about um, what, what do they do for money? 
Um, anything that they can, to be honest. Okay. And I mean, like, it's like a it, lot of bartering. It, it is. It's a total barter economy, like in every sense of the word. I mean, a lot of it is working for NGOs or other companies, or else it's you know doing small labor tasks. Yes. The actual the intent of the the center that they built there that we've funded since then actually like on, the, on a yearly basis is to kind of build the community's ability to use this kind of healing center as a way to actually sort of survive and live. Yep. Um, and so it's a lot of like living off the land and working off it. And, you know, it's a, it's a commerce driven society and it, but it's very small. So got it. Uh, why'd you come back? <laughs> because I need I would realize one day I'm like, man, I need like a real job. I need to like figure out what I'm doing. I, These Bitcoin aren't even worth $30 yeah. oh, anymore. No, this was like, <laughs> like end of like 20, this was like end of like 2012. I'm like, yeah, this is still like, this isn't working here. So we got to change it up. So here we go. Let's change it up, basically. That's Got it. And you came back, and what did you do? Uh, I moved to Toronto. So I'm okay. from Vancouver originally. I'm on the West Coast in Canada. Your friendly neighbors up north. Um, and uh, I moved to a company called Extreme Labs first, actually. So okay. we're the largest mobile app developers in the world. So we worked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I was there for only about six months. Mm-hmm. We got acquired. Um, and then Bitcoin started to kind of, you know, like show life again in, in, in a few ways. And so I said, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm going to start working directly on the space. And I've kind of been here ever since. Um, so started working um, uh, with a friend of mine named Jaron, who at the time was running a, uh, a small exchange here in New York called Coinsetter. Mm-hmm. Um, and within probably three to six months period, you know, Bitcoin started to boom. Everyone first saw Bitcoin and be like, what is this crazy thing? The um, internet magic money has yeah. value. And I was like, and I'll never forget, like, mid to end of 2013, like, I remember I, like, looked around, like, in our office, and I was like, oh, my God, I have tons of these Bitcoins. Like, I am fly- got on the next flight back to Vancouver, mm-hmm. grabbed hard drives for dear life, mm-hmm. and, like... Oh, because you had basically, you had mined so many of them, or, or had yeah, mines, we, and then yeah. you didn't think they were worth anything, so you kind of they weren't worth forgot anything. about them. Yeah, like, I was, you know... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, a totally different, like, thing. I was like, oh, my God, I'm out of here. Back. Get them. Yeah. Hold on for dear life. Well, it's be- it's better than... All the stories you heard in 2017, somebody's like, oh, shit. You know, I got 800 Bitcoin on this hard drive that I threw yeah. out two years ago. I think in the landfill, it's in this area. Yeah, that, like, like, I was trying to avoid those at all costs, right? Like, that was the number one mandate. Um, and then at the time, like, it was interesting. Like, and the space then was, like, so much different than it is today, too, right? Like, it was playful. It was, like, fun and mm-hmm. games. And, mm-hmm. and it was, I think, this magical time. And, like, so it was, like, pre-nascency. But, like... Everyone was just so interested in ideas. It wasn't about regulation and like really this like hard high finance thing in any sense of the word. Yep. You know, and it was really kind of quote unquote kids trying to figure out what you know this meant to the future, right? Yep. And, and I think it, it was it was a it was a cool time. It was also kind of a very scary time. Um, and, Why? And, and yeah, so when you're building a startup, right? You go through the usual hoops and bounds. You know, you maybe raise some seed, friends and family. You know, you go to build a mobile app or something like that. You know, it's it's there's this usual, I, I hate to say the word usual path, but it, it's kind of this like, you know, yeah. there's a certain route. This space, we quickly found out, was a very amalgamated and weird version of that. Because, oh, the moment that we start trying to build that app or whatever the application is that you're building, you're getting attacked by regulators. Like, you're getting bank accounts shut down. No one can get banking. Like, we can't have the most basic services. And then on top of that, we're getting, like, you know, calls from the FBI. You're getting calls from, you know, like, money laundering divisions and governments, Mm -hmm. and you're 21 years old. And you're sitting there being like, what is going on here? Like, this is, it just, it, like, you know, it's, you're coming after the largest institutions in the, in in such a different part of, you know, uh, of the world than what you would probably have thought at the time. And you, and we didn't realize the impact that it would have, but it was also that everything was 10 times harder to do. Like we could not do the simplest things. And I mean, VCs would kick you out of the rooms and, and everything else. Right. Um, but it was extremely hard to run businesses then. Like, and even today it's hard, like it's hard to get bank accounts even today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and on top of that, you're dealing with new ways of forming exchanges. What are exchanges? How do they operate? You know, the what actually happened in, in why Coinsetter came into Canada was uh, CA Vertex, which is the largest exchange at the time, was hacked, lost 20 million bucks. Um, and so Jaron called me up. He's like, man, we have to move into Canada. So we came in, we acquired um, uh, the asset. Um, and then the biggest problem that we had at Coinsetter, and this was, you know, late 2014, um, was our bank accounts cost, cost about $28,000 a month just to have bank accounts. Mm-hmm. 
and when you're a small company, you know, this is after Mt. Gox, like no one's touching Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, you have regulators in, in FinTrack and the equivalent of, of FinCEN here saying like calling us every day, suspicious transaction reporting, like you have Silk Road things that are like, you know, bubbling up. You're sitting there being like, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy, right? And and yet, like, we just, everyone then just believed so wholeheartedly in, like, what we could achieve in the space that it, it you know, it was one of those things where, like, it didn't really matter that, you know, you were, weren't able to really build a business and, yep. and, and, and powers at bay were not letting you by any capacity. Um, and so what ended up happening is what we recognized was that the big, some of the bigger exchanges at the time, you know, like Kraken included, were really making good headways in, in the non-North American only market. Uh, and so we ended up being acquired by Kraken. Um, they kind of took a lot of the user base and the assets. And, and kind of at the same time, I was working on a, another company in Canada to focus on different use cases on top of Bitcoin as well. So What was the other company? Uh, it was, it's called Paycase Financial. Um, we're one of the oldest definitely oldest still standing Bitcoin companies in, in, in Canada today. Um, it's been a lot of morphing as the space is, you know, kind of provided and required. Uh, so we have about seven different focuses underneath the kind of umbrella, I guess, if you will. Really focusing, what we started to focus on in late 20, mid 2015, was looking at if Bitcoin were to be successful, what would be the core use case that would actually drive, you know, help and, and and actual fundamental change to people that, you know, that lived in the Peruvian Amazon or that live in Canada or in the United States and abroad. And what we recognized that was if you could solve how remittances worked, what it would do is unlock these, you know, think local, act global, no matter where you are, you have high entrenched, you know, um, uh, systems that are and, and companies that really, you know, take the largest amounts, you know, from the side of, you know, the lowest income generating populations on the planet. Um, and it was really this one thing where Bitcoin could start to solve, you know, problems today. Um, if if you could get the infrastructure to work, right? Uh, and if you had basic things like banking and regulation and, 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 and these changes in cost models would still start to function. Um, I, st- I still think that's largely the case today. But then what we recognized was, you know, we couldn't get a bank. And, and that became extremely difficult. And this was, you know, 2015. Uh, we're one of the only banked country, companies in the, co- in the country today. Um, but that took us many years and a lot of different movements. Um, and so, like, a lot of the businesses that we started building underneath Paycase were really set around focusing on solving core problems that we had in remittances. So Bitcoin tr- throughput, for example, we needed a way to drastically scale how Bitcoin was working. Uh, and that's even still the case today, you know. And we can talk about Bitcoin in a minute and scaling and architecture and everything. Um, but, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have a scaling problem, but you need ways to allow transaction throughput to happen, you know, in certain environments mm-hmm. like like payments and settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we looked at was, OK, how do we start working with certain companies in the space that were working directly on layer two scaling solutions? And, and this was kind of at the early formulation of Blockstream. Um, and it was a really amazing time to watch that company just start to kind of foundationalize itself. Um, and then what we then looked at was, you know, what's the next thing? Identity, KYC, compliance. These things are such overhead arching costs that if you don't reduce the cost of them, you'll never make things like remittances free. Um, and then the problem then became in this biggest thing that we probably focused on over the last two years was how do we work with regulation, uh, regulators, heads of states, central bank heads, um, and world leaders and through the OECD to start writing regulation for the ecosystem. Because if we do not have places where the ecosystem can go, in really places that we can call home that is attributable to how this space is built today, then, you know, we're in a big problem. Um, and I think that regulation is very complex in this space. And, and you need, you know, you need the old guys who, you know, the, the old guys who kind of know what they're doing to go and work with regulators to actually explain things. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you know, where are we left off? Yep. So that's been kind of the encompassing part of, of a lot of different areas since. When you were building Paycase, what is like the one or two things that you took away as to this was the most important work we did? It's a really good question. And I think it's still like we're still building it every day, right? And I think it, it comes down to, you know, a few different things. Like I think the biggest, the most important two things that we have today are how do we make sure that Bitcoin survives? Um, and what will it take for the ecosystem to continue to have the right support it once had, even when everyone's watching it? Mm-hmm. And that comes down again to the, you know, we need places to call home. 
I mean, like, quite frankly, Bitcoin doesn't care about regulation. Like, Bitcoin yeah. itself doesn't care about regulation, doesn't care about anyone, well, it's right? It's like the, what, the economist Joseph Stegler, or whatever, I'm going to mispronounce mm. the name, but uh, he recently said that we should shut down cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and, good you luck. Know, the, well, it, it just, it, it cracks me up that you get the, the Twitter peanut gallery just literally, I mean, it's like literally on cue. As soon as he said it, everyone just goes... That's the point. You can't yeah, shut it down. That's the point. Like, yeah, like we've been waiting for you to help yeah. us explain to everyone. You can't shut it down. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, and I think that there's the like, Bitcoin can't be stopped. It can't be shut down. And I think that's like what makes it beautiful. But Bitcoin still will adapt to its environment, right? Like, it is a species in many ways. And, and the importance is how it adapts. And, and one of the things that I always so I, I spent a bunch of time talking to like the institutional investor, right? right? And these are people who. Um, the idea that you went to the Amazon forest, it, like, makes them uncomfortable, right? Right, and just like that's not something that they would do. They mm-hmm. go every single day. They put their suit and their tie on, mm-hmm. right? They go to work. They do their job. It's all about managing risk, right? Going to the Amazon forest is risky, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> they manage risk professionally, right? right. And so uh, many of them have great lives. They enjoy mm-hmm. it, um, and, and they're very happy, right. right? Which is ultimately the most important thing. Mm-hmm. When it comes to something like this, though, there's no pattern recognition, right? right? It's not like a stock. Oh, I can mm-hmm. see a stock is uh, it's undervalued because here is the cash flow analysis that we've done, yep. right? And here's the enterprise value, and, and this is what I think is going to happen in the future, mm-hmm. right? That's, again, something that they understand. Yep. When you look at Bitcoin, it's non-correlated. The drivers of value are very different. So Definitely. They, don't, they, they can't wrap their head around that. The second thing is this idea that, like, Oh, if it can't be shut down, that must mean you're trying to do something bad. Right. Right? Like of it course. immediately goes to like the absolute fringe use case. Yeah. And what I try to explain to them is like just because it can't be shut down mm-hmm. doesn't make it bad. No. Actually, let me walk you through all the examples of why that's a good thing. Absolutely. Here's all the people who are trying to shut things down that are doing bad things. Like the like the person trying to exert control is actually the bad person in this situation. Absolutely. Not the person trying to withstand, you know, that that control yeah. or uh, protect their wealth. Yep. I think that that's the type of stuff that just people don't understand until they really sit and think about it. Yeah, and I think that, like, that's, like, the – there's, like, a few, like, really core things, right? Like, in order to make a system that is not controlled by and really affect, like, what is, what is like, government insurance? It's really – it's an insurance policy. Central banks have an insurance policy. Like, you know, like, banking money is an insurance policy backed by the bank, right? And, and in – in, a, in the case where you have systems that are not inherently insured, mm-hmm. you need a way of insuring itself. And the only way to do that is to make sure it can never go down, mm-hmm. right? And if, if, there's, if it is vulnerable to fault or, or to, to sometimes stopping, then it's not a very, you know, um, safe system. And, and that's like the hard thing, right? And so it's looking at what are the core factors that make these things, you know, still safe not in a negative context, right? And I think that's where, and that's what I, I think is like so important about today and in institutionalization in the space is that it's starting to change the context, but it, mm-hmm. it takes time to educate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a large reason why we've focused on the things that we focused. And I think that's really why we've been working on, on building things like Shift is like, you need things that can allow institutionalization to happen and a better way of understanding how institutions start to play, um, whether they be investors or, or people or institutions, governments. All right, so I'll switch gears and go mm-hmm. to Shift, right? So uh, you did pay case, uh, working a lot now on Shift. Uh, yes. Shift is S-H-Y-F-T. Correct. Which uh, I always call out because uh, on the internet, there's a lot of things called Shift. I've actually <laughs> invested in companies called Shift, uh, spelled differently. Um, but explain what Shift is and why mm. you guys are working on this. Yeah, so Shift is uh, is effectively a, a, it's a few different things. And so the, the goal of Shift is to build a permissionless way for identity credentialing any type of uh, asset custody ownership um, to exist on any type of a network. It is a POW blockchain uh, at its base layer, but its value derives in that it, it works as a secondary application layer or a secondary um, network layer across pretty much every blockchain. And this is what's really interesting. Um, and the question is kind of like, why are we working on it? What we found was that when working in the space so early, the biggest problem that we had was that we could not get banking. We could not get institutions, regulators, and anyone to understand how we as the ecosystem build, why we do things a certain way as exchanges, as service providers, as anyone. And what we recognized was that if we do not start looking at how do we build some system that solves compliance or regulation in the first degree for how the ecosystem works, then how are we ever going to actually 
bridge the gap. Like, mm-hmm. if we don't understand how we do things and provide it in some sort of a standard such that the traditional world can also understand that and relatably work on it, you're never going to get to the place that we need to. It, it's almost like, and I'm thinking out loud here, but uh, it's almost like you're saying, hey, I'm a cowboy. I went into the Wild West. I figured it out, but there's no way that the you know the rest of the town's coming out here. Yes. So I might as well make it safe. I might as well put roads. I might as well build like a whole little you know, city that they're used to. Okay, now you guys can come on. Like This is something you recognize. Exactly. Yeah. And the question is, how do we not degrade the core fundamentals of what makes the space what it is? Yeah. Because like what makes you know Bitcoin interesting is nothing else other than openness and decentralization. Like mm-hmm. There's nothing that's interesting about a database, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you keep the core tenets of those things, but also allow people to actually start building institutional requirements, regulatory requirements, government-based you know, upgrading services while still maintaining a certain way of doing things, but mm-hmm. doing them just fundamentally differently. Mm-hmm. That's really the goal. Um, and so we spent the last two years working on it. And it, it came out of early work that we were doing and, and really more so understanding of how Blockstream was working on secondary layers. Um, and it was an interesting time. And, and the what I think made it so interesting for Shift is that we literally brought people from every major protocol in the space together to actually work on it. So core developers and early developers were Bitcoin core, um, from Blockstream and a lot of architecture for, that was done from you know X guys at Blockstream, core developers in Ethereum, the co-founder of Ethereum, um, co-founders of EOS, Cardano, and all of these guys were effectively all came in as well as an RSK to all say how do we start to build all of these systems so they interoperate across everyone? Because because again, like people aren't going to sit there and care about protocols. They want to know is my identity data safe? Yeah. Uh, can we start building new applications that look at at trust in different ways? So l- let's talk a little bit about the actual product that shifts building mm-hmm. and some of the things you're trying to solve. So two of the core tenets are uh, this idea of like permissioning, right, on permissionless blockchains. Yes. Um, and then also the interoperability, um, which is a big word for those at home. Uh, and I said mm-hmm. it correctly. Um, <laughs> but but uh, talk a little bit about the idea of, so a permissionless bo- blockchain, what that is, and mm-hmm. then why it is, I don't want to say controversial, but just it, it's a unique idea to put permissioning on a permissionless blockchain. Yeah, and so effectively what we want wanted to do was was to look at what systems were working today in the space and in and, and this is from past lessons right like I, I think having openness at the base layer is critically important and bitcoin security overwhelmingly is obviously the most secure way of ensuring infrastructure i think over you know today and in the future um but what we recognized was that you needed new foundational ways of connecting other blockchains together for the purposes of things like data routing how do I make it so that a project that's working on on Ethereum or on EOS or on Cardano that's working on different types of data permissioning has the right environment across all of those networks on an upper layer in order for us to build a global identity system? Like if identity is cordoned off to certain things and and, and certain protocols, you're never gonna have like a truly global system. Um, And so the question is is more like, how do you at a secondary layer um, start to permission out infrastructure sets that allow institutions and, and governments to actually start to integrate? And how much of this is around data versus like monetary value? Yeah, so at the at the core protocol network level, it functions very similarly to how gas on the Ethereum network works. Uh, and the reason being is that you can deploy any arbitrary smart contract on top of the network. Um, but that's not really what it's best used for, right? So you want to work on taking Ethereum smart contracts, whatever they might be, and deploying them for cheaper, then Shift is an easy way to do that. But where it gets interesting is in where you start to look at permissioning requirements. Let's say I'm a Bitcoin exchange and I want to pass and I want to uh, sign that in fact, you know, uh, Anthony has uh, onboarded with me for KYC. You know, how do I look at and say, okay, I'm going to blindly validate that you're a participant on the exchange. Uh, And then another exchange, Bitfinex comes along and says, I want to actually pull your data. So instead of you having to replicate all of these data requirements constantly, you're starting to spread passport information everywhere, you should be able to sign proof and validity that in fact you are who you say you are. And that in fact, Bitfinex or Bittrex or a bank or a government can actually sign on your behalf proving validity of who you are. It's about how do you how do you take trust of different participants in any environment and effectively sign those or give them a standard way to sign proof. Mm-hmm. Um, and that becomes a transactional currency in and of itself. 
And are you able to give somebody the that trust or that validity and then take it back at certain points yes. and, and kind of there's a more dynamic uh, relationship between you and that uh, other party? Yeah, the idea is that like, in, in the big thing that we were looking at was how do we ensure the GDPR compliance is still maintained? And this oh, is, yeah, and that was like the big thing is that we needed a, a way that in very certain environments so we could ensure that any regulatory requirements were still being met um, whether it's a global one or it's a jurisdictional one. Uh, and so the idea is that you basically have the ability to both sign different key pairs or different you know, uh, information data sets across different participants, but also ensure that there's consent that's occurring across all parties involved. So if I'm sharing information from one bank to another, um, you have to have consent that sits across that to ensure, uh, and a bunch of other kind of really interesting features that, that really allow institutions to actually play. And in your eyes, how much of the hardcore Bitcoiner community is like excited about this mm. versus like the institutional world? It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I would say less about less Bitcoiners, and I don't. Uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a draw, right? Like, and I think that there's a like. There's two different camps, and I came out of both, and it, it's like it's been an interesting position to say the least. Like, you know, I, I I'm a very much a Bitcoin maximalist. You know, to, I mean, you were there really early. Yeah, and 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 the one thing I recognize though is that like, um, and I think that to be honest, the reason why I started focusing on other things was that. Bitcoin is in a very good place. It has the brightest minds around it, and Bitcoin will continue to do what it does best. You know, and, and I don't think that anyone, anyone who tries to compete with Bitcoin, I think, is in for a ride. Um, and, and with that being said, is that I think that there's other problems that that our ecosystem needs to come to the table and start to solve. You know, like money and the idea of what value is is, is what Bitcoin is solving. And I think that it's doing a fabulous job. But you know, I think that we can use our our, our capabilities and what we know into the next areas that are critically important. For for civilization, mm -hmm. you know, and that goes into identity. It goes into data privacy. It goes into ensuring regulations are not, you know, overarching and overreaching. Talk about the interoperability and like why that's so important here, and, and what the advantages of that are when it comes to some of this data and trust and validity. Yeah, so you have this big problem today where. And this is like the, the, the interesting thing of how we looked at Shift is that we look at like these main networks. You look at Bitcoin, you look at Ethereum, you look at EOS. Everyone is running and gunning to make sure that the future of the world exists on one network. Mm -hmm. Right. And we took the exact opposite approach. Okay. We said we are only as strong as the networks of networks that we connect to. So okay. Shift gains its strength in security and and adaptability in its ability to actually peg across all these other networks. So it's almost like you're only as strong as the links between the networks. Correct. Okay. And that's a really important argument. We look at it almost as that we believe that we're a side chain of side chains. Our main chain is a side chain. Okay. Effectively, you probably make like a rap song out of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but and it's like a really important like you know thing. It's to say, listen, we believe that if we can work with every major protocol in the space and build them to be stronger and start bringing in much more institutional grade use cases where we built from the beginning to be an actual use case solution uh, or a problem set solution, then we can start helping everything start to just mold and solidify. And, and you know, I don't like this idea that I think it's a waste of time to keep arguing and complaining whether Bitcoin is better than Ethereum and all these things is that they're good for certain things and they're bad for others. Mm -hmm. uh, and the question in my mind is, can you start to build on top of all of them and start connecting them all in and with the things that they're meant to be used for, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's really where I think we, we've really focused. We know that Bitcoin's best at security. We know that proof of work works. Um, and I think we use it. We use uh, eth um, Ethereum's like EVM for different smart contracting capabilities because we know that it's a lot more flexible for certain things that are required. We know that EOS is very good at dual threading, high speed, right? And so in the requirements that we need in certain conditions, we can use that, right? This idea that you need to start playing with things that make sense for the purposes that they do. Um, and, and taking that approach, I think, also helps us because, again, we're not focused on building the best protocol inherently. The protocol will speak for itself, but it's in its ability to actually solve problems. Mm -hmm. and, and if you can't solve fundamental problems that the world has, then what are we doing? That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. well, what do you think the first couple of applications are that get built on top of this? Yeah, and so I think that we've taken a big focus on um, national identity system as one. So okay. we did a deal with the Bermudan government uh, last year. 
Uh, we'll announce, I think, around consensus, but that's going into phase one um, right now. And so we have about three to five other countries in probably the next 18 months that'll take that same identity system um, and actually start to deploy it. Uh, so Bermuda was a really great test, and, and you know we wrote a lot of the regulation there as well. But yeah, it's sixty-five thousand people, uh, and so we we kind of are using that as a very good model and test bed um, to build an identity system on top of Shift. That's kind of like number one. Um, over the next, next eighteen months, we have countries that span in the you know fifty million user populations to a hundred to four five hundred mm-hmm. that'll you know start to kind of. Uh, be more announced and present over the next year. Um, but I think that that's kind of one big pillar. And how do you look at identity standards? The next one I think is, in, which is critically important to the space, is how you do better at KYC or onboarding across any of the companies in the space. Um, and this comes to say, how does exchanges better handle data security? How does ICOs better manage the fact that they shouldn't have to manage our passports in the first place? Like, I shouldn't have to give a bunch of kids who I'm investing in a project a passport. It doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. And so is there new ways that we can apply, you know, this credentialization, this ability to credential anything in the crypto space mm-hmm. using crypto as a way to better authenticate and validate? Mm-hmm. Um, those will start to, I think, really become apparent very quickly. Um, we're working with some of the biggest Bitcoin exchanges to do that in, in other very large venues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think looking more into the institutional large payment space, um, we're working with a lot of, you know, very large institutions and in, in more of the financial side to look at how do you build single sign-in authorization global identity as a you know attributed to their brands and and more about validation and verification Um, and then ultimately I think just more developers working on cool things I think that's Mm -hmm. gonna be the big thing and and how do you basically just start bridging all of the different contracts that sit on all these protocols today and that's like the big thing is everything is interoperable do you think we get to a world where you don't have a U.S. passport and then a state driver's license and then, you know, some other country visa or whatever. Like, there's just one global identity system that everyone plugs into and maybe there's, like, you know, again, I'm thinking out loud, but, like, you've got badges, right? So, hey, you're allowed to go to this country because you have this badge, mm-hmm. but you have the, you know, you can drive a car in this country because you have this other badge or this other, like, you know, unique identifier. Like, how, how do you think this plays out? I think that you come to some sort of, like, we look at it as, as, as shift enables, you know, global citizenship and universal citizenship. Um, and I think that that's, like, kind of the perspective we take, being mindful that you have to be very careful in how those systems are built, right? Like, this system in, in this space can't be rewritten, and it's very hard. And so you have to be very cautious about what you build, you know, and what you choose not to build, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that, you know, Bitcoin core developers could probably build that they probably choose not to, mm-hmm. right? And the question becomes... A lot. Exactly, right? And it's, you know, it's a question of, like, what's the right thing to do and what's not. Do I think that we come to this one, you know, m- my fear is only in Skynet in those types of situations, right? And, and I also think that that's why having, you know, open systems are really important because it, it, it makes it hard to create Skynets um, because the last thing you want is identity that is controlled and owned by, you know, very few, you know, and, and that's a hard one, right? And so I don't think that you get to that, but I think that, you know, we will have more and more clever ways of ensuring privacy to happen. And I think that this is the fundamental layer that you need to start. And, and again, like when you go to the Philippines, for example, there's 80 different identities. There's not one card, yeah, right? Yeah. They don't even know how many people they have. And they can't provide services. You can't properly vote. Like, these are fundamental, like, blocks and pillars of civilization. So if you don't even have the most basic thing, like, you know, like, let's just start with getting them one ID. Yeah, Before you work on 80 different ones, you know. And then we'll figure out, like, you know, how they move around the world. Right? It's so crazy to me. Um, What's your, like, ultimate dream for for Bitcoin and for crypto? Like, like. It's a good Descri- question. Describe like the the finish line, if you will. Yeah, it's a really it's a that's a great question. I think that like my my vision and my dream is that is that Bitcoin is is the closest thing that we have to I think freedom in, in the future, and I think that what I want to see is that it is adopted positively, and that and that it is used you know the same way that anything else is used today whether it's a mobile phone whether it's like payments and anything else and and that like what i'm noticing today is that we're having a very hard stance from a regulatory perspective and i think that the ecosystem needs to do better and be better at, at making sure that you know we have a voice um, 
but I see a world where you have, you know, tokenization of everything. And I think that that's the logical, you know, future. And a lot more freedom. Like, at the end of the day, this is about more control, more ownership, and more freedom. Mm-hmm. And if we can provide even 15% of that, you know, to the majority of the world, which isn't here, I think that we've done our job. I always talk about uh, Bitcoin specifically, but a lot of this is uh, it's the only weapon I know of where the people get to fight back against the man, yeah, right, or the absolutely. government um, to some degree. And uh, if the weapon falls in the hands of you know the people or uh, of with the man or the government, yeah. it can't be used against them. Exactly, and that's right? the beauty of it. And it's about like yeah, and again, that's also why it's like you need to look at upgrading governments. Like you need, and they're on side. It's like you have to know how to talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like the one thing at the OECD that we really focused on last year is that we've been writing policy standards to make sure the G7 and 20 understand how the space works. And these are from the earliest guys in the space. Because if you don't do that, if you do not step over our line and say, listen, we need to help you, you're writing our future. Mm-hmm. And if we're not the ones helping you write it, then we are doing a disservice to the space. Not good. Not good <laughs> at all. So. Absolutely. Before I wrap up, uh, most important company in crypto? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm, most important company. Most important company. Oh, I don't can't even, say your own. I definitely will not do that. I think for Bitcoin, Blockstream. Okay. Um, I think for Ethereum, I maybe consensus because I don't really have very many others. Um, and yeah, the list, I don't know. I don't look at one company. I think everyone's important, to be honest. And I think everyone needs to build together. What's the one regulation you would change or improve if you could? The one that we've been really fighting to ensure is the question of what, whether or not, uh, what KYC and the Financial Action Task Force requirements are. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work in advising the FATF directly, and, and, and the one thing we have to make sure is that Bitcoin is not looked at as a payment method the same way that bank transfers are done. Um, and I think that they're coming towards that, but if you do not get the FATF to, on side for how this happens, we're going to have a very big problem globally. Yeah, it's fair. Um, what's the most controversial thought you have in crypto? Mm. What do you believe that everyone else is going to disagree with you on? That everything becomes a zero-sum game. And Why? that there is very big opportunities investing in, in, in projects that only focus on zero-sum. So if you assume the whole world becomes zero-sum, what are the projects that become foundational to zero-sums and can they become profitable? That's kind of the way that our fund looks at it from a thesis perspective. N- name one that you think fits that. So the idea that that if... If I can put prices to zero, right? If 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 Shift kind of does this in some ways, it makes the cost of doing business effectively over a long surface area of time zero. Um, and if you can assume that that is true, and if that all things have advantage effectively by having more surface area at zero, um, by not making anything more profitable than the other, and there is tremendous value in networks that can do that. Um, if you make cost advantages that maintain cost pricing like high, then I don't think that you have an advantage. But if you can keep things extremely low, making things free, if you can make business out of making things free but forcibly, then it becomes really interesting. And I think the space can do it. There's a lot of interesting incentives that are happening today. Most important book you've ever read? Oh, good question as well. Most important book I ever read? Um... I would, would say John McAfee's one, but that wouldn't be true. Um, I think it's a good question. What would be my favorite book? Um, maybe the, the, the Starfish. What is There's that? It's a book that talks about decentralization. And, and Brock Pierce actually showed it to me. It's really interesting, but it talks about how decentralized systems and organizations start to work. Um, and I think it's incredibly important. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to look at it because it's something that most people, most people say like, what is this whole decentralization thing? And there's very few books that very um, clearly dive into, you mm-hmm. know, what these are, how this organizational change works. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important to not, you know, to find clarity and understanding why things work and why, mm-hmm. they, why, why they're happening. Yeah, um, so it's yeah. pretty interesting. Um, I'll send you one. Before, yeah, I, I'd love to, uh, to read. Uh, before I finish, I should let you ask me one question, but we talk about aliens first. I'm um, in. Believer, non-believer? Absolutely. Why? Um, because of a few reasons. I think that, I mean, 
Coming from the jungle, you see a lot of interesting things. Um, the aliens in the Amazon. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Right. Like I think, and I, I, I would again echo what, what what John said the other day. Like we are all aliens. We're all unique. Yep. Um, and I think that the world is just simply too big. Like the one thing that I've like recognized in interacting with governments over the last like few years is like there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. You know, like conspiracy theories like aren't that much conspiracies, and they're not really usually theories. Like. A lot of things happen. The world is big, you know, and it would not surprise me that they're very good at holding some things to heart. You, you think that they've like visited aliens? I they've, think like, they're probably there. You think so? I think so. I mean, I don't think it's in the way that we think, like you know, green guys walking. Around. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think that they're probably genetically in all of us. I think a hundred percent, and I have yeah. a strong belief that they're they're not far away. So the answer that no one said yet, mm-hmm. uh, and I was thinking about this yesterday, was. Um, this whole idea of being able to like mutate cells and edit hmm. genes and DNA. Yep. We're going to have aliens pretty quick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's like <laughs> next week. I think they just did a whole, like a woolly mammoth last week or something like. Yeah. Like yeah, it's that, like that's going to be real real oh, yeah. fast. Yeah. And uh what makes an alien is the real question. You know, like what do you define it to be? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the big one. We're gonna we're gonna head down a road that I think a lot of people aren't ready for <laughs> if uh, if we really if, if like the CRISPR stuff becomes real. So, oh yeah. You know, we'll it's see. it's coming. I don't I don't I'm think anyone's sh- gonna be able to stop it. No, of course not. Right. Just like Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> uh, I'm all in on both those boats, so we'll see. Me too. Uh, what one question do you have for me? What is the one value? Of Bitcoin that you would fight for and put everything on the line for. What's the one thing that it, like that means to you? What's the most important thing? I think that I'm going to cheat. I'm going to answer this in two ways. I think if you ask me, what is the most valuable thing to the greatest number of people on the planet? Mm-hmm. Uh, I am on record of saying that I believe the mass adoption of Bitcoin will do more for equality in the world than all philanthropic efforts combined. Um, Love it. And the reason being inflation drives income inequality at a rate that we can't even really comprehend. Um, It's the largest driver of income inequality uh, in the world. And so if you remove inflation from the world, uh, there are some challenges. It's not 100% perfect. Of course. But there are a lot of benefits as well. And so um, I think that's probably like has the largest impact right, right. It, it basically just prevents the elites from stealing wealth from the poor right right yep. which which like generally i think a lot of people have a hard time arguing that would be a I've, good thing yep i would definitely there's some psychos it. out there but like that's fine <laughs> there's a couple um so, so i would say that's one mm-hmm. uh if you asked me what is likely to have the most severe impact on a certain percentage of the population's life right mm-hmm. so like what i just talked about was like broadest reach now right. if i go like greatest depth, depth. Yeah. uh it would be the inability for uh, governments or bad actors to seize the asset. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is uh, there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of people, but it's still a relatively small number of people in the world, but it's still a, a big number that uh, they live every single day in fear that somebody's going to seize their wealth, right? right? And, um, and, and so that ability, I think, is like such a um, unique component of Bitcoin that it gives people like peace of mind right. for something that they can't find anywhere else. Totally. Like there's like no other asset in the world that they can get that from. Right. And so uh, I think that that's kind of how I think about it. It's like there's an answer that is how broad can we go? Right. And then there's an answer of like how deep can we go? Right. And so I think that's I like it. That. That's a great answer. Yeah. It's true. I just, I just thought of that. Be the so. Switzerland in your pocket when Switzerland's no longer Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I need to think more about it, but like there's a lot to kind of unpack in that, but mm-hmm. I think that I think that's I think that makes sense and is something that I believe. Yeah, I agree. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know. Somebody on the internet will tell me how I'm dumb. Yeah. <laughs> right? like that's, that's the way it goes. That, that's bound to happen yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, all right, man. Listen, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I think people are going to love uh, hearing from you. And uh, it's not every day that I get to talk to uh, somebody who's got so many different life experiences. And uh, uh, it's a lot of fun. So we'll have to uh, do it again in the future. Thank you. Have yeah, have a good one. Thanks. Hey everyone, Pop here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. 
Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.